Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Bonjour, bienvenue la série de sermons de Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now here's this week's sermon. Please check it out. God bless you and take care. Today I'm finishing up the series on the life of Moses. And I'll be reading... I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'm going to be start with Deuteronomy 12, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, and then jump to verses 20 and through 22, then chapter 11, 13 through 16, and then chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. So let me start there. Chapter 10, Deuteronomy, starting with verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. And then verse 20. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Chapter 11, verse 13. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. And then in verse 18, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, so many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. The, uh, this is Moses in his last days. And in a series of speeches, these are Moses' last words to Israel. It's clear that Moses was concerned that following his death, Israel might stray away from the faith and forget who they were, and even more importantly, whose they were. He had watched one faithless generation perish in the desert, with only Joshua and Caleb from that generation being allowed to go into the promised land. 
During the journey, Moses had lost his sister Miriam and his brother Aaron. He had led Israel into battle against Arad and Sion and Og. I love Og. I almost named one of my kids Og. And the Midianites. As Moses stood before the Israelites, he knew this would be the last time they would hear his voice because they were going into the promised land without him. It had been 40 years since Moses heard God's voice coming from a burning bush. 40 years since confronting Pharaoh and his empire. 40 years since the world saw the might of Yahweh through the 10 plagues in Israel passing through the Red Sea. Most of the people who stood in front of Moses that day had not been born when these things had happened. What they knew had come from stories from their parents and grandparents. Moses was worried that Israel would keep its same old pattern and would forget who God was and what God had done for them. That they would forget their calling to be a nation of priests, making God known to all the world. He was deeply concerned they would forget the covenant the promises of God to them and their promises to him and would follow idols or would become egotistical and ungrateful and disobey the oaths they made. Don't forget your God and how he saved you is the essence of Moses' message. Love him with all your heart and all your being and all your strength. By the way, this was Jesus' favorite verse in all of Scripture. He built his kingdom around this verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, he said. This is the marching orders, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, the two books Jesus quoted the most in the Old Testament were the Psalms and Deuteronomy. And the verse he valued the most was love the Lord your God with all your inner being. Follow God's revelation given to you, Moses said. Let it form you. Obey it. Meditate on it. Pray it. Let it become part of the fabric of who you are. The goal of Scripture, of God's revelation, is not to just learn commandments and rules. It is to place ourselves where God can speak to us. The goal of reading Scripture is to meet the God of Scripture while you read it. The goal is to encounter him and let his word come alive to us, to allow him to apply what we need from scriptures to our hearts directly through his spirit. All scripture readings should start with the prayer, Holy Spirit, teach me as I read. Holy Spirit, guide me as I read. Show me what I need from what I'm reading and help me apply it to my life. The goal of scripture, you see, is not information. It is transformation. To learn scripture and be unaffected by it is worse than not knowing it at all. If you learn scripture and it doesn't affect your life, that leaves you in the same boat with the demons of hell. They perfectly know scripture and are totally unaffected by it. Remember how the Pharisees of Jesus' day studied scripture rigorously and yet still missed the whole point? They never allowed God's word to be more than a list of rules instead of an invitation to an adventure with God and the transformation of their hearts. One pastor said one Sunday after church, I was accosted by a man who was greatly admired for his Bible knowledge. He more or less appointed himself the watchdog of the church's doctrinal purity. It was a matter of deep importance to him that people knew how well he knew the scriptures. 
He loved to get into theological debates because they offered an opportunity to display his knowledge. This man began to recite to me a long litany of complaints. He said that he had been praying about them to the Lord who agreed with him on so very many things. The young people in the church were not as devoted as they should be. The leaders of adult classes were not sufficiently in line with his favorite radio Bible teacher. He had seen little children, including mine, running irreverently in the sanctuary, and he wasn't too sure about my preaching either. Now remember, he said as a final note, I don't like a lot of what you do, but I love you in the Lord. That man knew so much, very much about the Bible, and he knew a lot of what the Bible said about, the lo about love. The only thing he forgot was to practice it, to let it infuse him. That phrase, I love you in the Lord, became a way to actually spiritualize his lack of love. He said, loving me in the Lord is precisely what this man didn't do. It never became a part of him. Jesus didn't come to make us religious. He didn't come to help us pile up 50,000 memory verses. He came to make us delightfully different people like Jesus is delightfully different. So read Scripture slowly. Listen to the Spirit as you read it. What word jumps out? What phrase sets your heart on fire? What story becomes your story? What character in a story is you? Read the Scripture like you would read a love letter at the height of romance. The goal is not to get through the Scriptures, but to let the Scriptures get through you. Because... After reading the scriptures, if we are not different, something is very wrong. Most of life's battles are won or lost in our hearts long before they're won or lost at the job or at our homes or in the streets. Our inner worlds determine our outer worlds. So often we often hide from ourselves. We hide from the truth about ourselves. We hide from God. We need God and his word to search us. You see, what really, it, you know, sometimes we read the Word, but the real object of the Word is that the Word reads us. It tells us what's up. It tells us what's going on in our hearts. Moses said that day, listen, Israel, you got competition. There are idols out there. There are enemies out there. There is toxic cultures out there. He said, do not be seduced by false gods and toxic cultures. Those words are as true now as they were then. The world, if you haven't noticed, is out to get you. It wants your money. It wants your devotion. It wants your time. It wants your body. The world's goal is to use you. The devil's goal is to destroy you, to get you addicted to those things that will kill you. And our fallen nature and our egos often join with the world and the devil and think, gee, what a swell idea. We have to resist the seduction of the world constantly. The world will not leave you alone. This is why we need to know the scripture. It tells what we are fighting against, what we are fighting for, and how to win. It helps us ask, what is from God, what isn't, what is a lie, what is the truth? Because if you can't figure out truth from falsehood, everything about your life is at risk. Everything. 
You'll raise your kids wrong. You'll end up in divorce court. You'll end up destroying yourself. You cannot believe the lies of the world. If you're ignorant of the word of God, then you're at the mercy of the world and the powers and principalities that run it. By the way, the main lie that comes from the father of lies is this. If something makes you happy, it can't be bad. That is the modern derivative from the old hippie motto, if it feels good, do it. These are lies from hell. Heroin makes you feel real good before they lower your body in the ground. Opiates make you very happy before you go to rehab in a desperate attempt to save your life. Cocaine makes you deliriously happy before they throw you in prison. Adultery makes your heart pound with happiness before it blows up your world and you see that look in your children's eyes as the family disintegrates. Money makes very people feel very secure before some realize it may just have cost them their health or their marriage. Narcissists and the narcissism of many people feels good. They feel so good about themselves until they lose job after job and friend after friend and end up alone in the end. If our pleasure and happiness becomes the standard of truth, we will give ourselves permission to do anything, which, by the way, we have. I read of one dean at a university who loved fishing. He bought a boat and named it Faculty Development. And when asked by his supervisors how he was spending his time, he wrote on his report, I'm spending more and more time on faculty development. They thought he was working harder and harder. Turns out he was just fishing more and more. By the way, this guy was a dean at a Christian college. Not Messiah, of course. Uh, I'm sure it was Grove City or somewhere. Anyway. By the way, Bill Heibel saw in Chicago a million-dollar yacht, and on the back of it, it had in big, bold letters the name DESERVED. Obviously, the owner believed he deserved whatever he had and whatever made him happy. Just another reflection of the growing sense of entitlement in our toxic culture. Boy, do we feel entitled anymore. I'm quite sure Jesus has a different opinion about what we deserve, and I happen to know it's not a yacht. Don't be absorbed by the culture around you. This was Moses' warning to Israel. Don't give in. Or as Paul put in Romans 12.1 and Eugene Peterson translated it in the message, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit right in without ever thinking. There are millions upon millions of Christians in that category who fit right into the culture without ever thinking and knowing the difference. There are millions of Christians who think being a good American and a good Christian are the same thing. They are not. There are millions of Christians who think God is a Republican. He is not. There are millions of Christians who think God is a Democrat. He is not. There are millions of Christians who think God is a bellhop in heaven. And if you name it and claim it, he will come and meet your every whim. He does not. We have worshipped too many false gods. Align your thoughts with his words, Moses says. Measure everything you hear by its values. Let the spirit and the word detox you and keep detoxing you. Because folks, 
There is slime washing over us a lot. There's a parable I've heard for years, told by a variety of writers and preachers, but I like this version of it. You've probably heard it, but I'm going to say it anyway. There was once a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills far beyond anyone's sight lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer. And giving money to the, un, excuse me, the unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened. The money was found. The old man rehired. Yet after another time, the springs were cleaned. The stream was pure. Children played on its banks again. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. How is the flow? What color is the water? Is there something that stinks? Is the water coming out of you living water? If we ignore our souls, the rest of our life falls apart. The soul is the, in, the, soul is the interior life from which the rest of life springs. Our goal is to keep it clean, keep it healthy. This is what Moses was saying, and it starts with the truth and with God. Then Moses says something. He, he tells him in one of the verses I read, he tells Israel that God's law, his revelation of himself, faithfulness to God himself, he said, this is for your own good. This is for your benefit. You see, sin is not hurtful because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's hurtful. God designed us. Only he knows how we're supposed to work. Someone asked G.K. Chesterton, the great 19th century Christian apologist, brilliant debater and writer, 
And they asked him, if you were stranded on an island in the middle of the ocean, what one book would you take with you? And everybody thought, well, as this great Christian apologist, he'd take the Bible. But the answer Chesterton gave was, he would take with him Thomas's guide to practical shipbuilding. <laughs> Why? Because if you're stranded on an island in the middle of the ocean, you want a book that can get you home. At that point, you don't want People magazine. You don't want Cosmo, which tells you how to have shinier lips. Because you don't need to look good on a deserted island. You need to be saved on a deserted island. And then Chesterton said, for similar reasons, that's why I read the Bible. It is the only book in the world that can get me home. And it, is, it only has the information needed to save me from my real condition. What God gives us in Scripture is who we are and who we're meant to be. God isn't just doling out rules. He's doling out life as it can be, as it should be lived. God wants us not in having just freedom from sin, but he wants us whole and fully alive and joyous. He wants us free from so we can be free for. He wants us not to just turn from something, but to turn toward something. The Old Testament word for this is that God wants us to have shalom. Shalom at every level. Life. God wants us to have eternal life spilling into our real life. Can you imagine living life like Jesus lived it? Can you imagine that instead of worrying, you prayed until peace flooded you and you did it regularly? Can you imagine... If you saw an enemy and your first instinct was to actually pray for them and love them and try to overcome, good with, over, overcome evil with good, can you imagine if you didn't care anymore about your ego needs and who paid attention to you, but how you could compassionately minister to the people around you and make them feel loved? Can you imagine not being afraid of death because you so believed in heaven? Can you imagine trusting God for your needs instead of fearing for the future? Can you imagine God helping you rise above your addictions on a daily basis? Imagine the freedom. Hallelujah. God wants us free. Free from the shackles that bind. Free from the toxins that kill us. And he does it. He gave us ways in this world to start to experience that freedom. He wants us to be free by the power of his spirit, working with the truth of his word, combined with the fellowship of his community called the church. That is the way to freedom. And most of us do not practice those ways with any consistency and wonder why it doesn't work. Every now and then we pray and every now and then we study the word and every now and then we we get into some fellowship that's meaningful but they hardly ever all come together in ways that become life-changing but they can be Craig Geschel said that one Sunday night a single man confessed openly to the men and women in his small group that he'd been praying about a problem for years but he would never told another person choking back tears he humbly admitted that he had struggled with an addiction and still was struggling with an addiction to pornography. That night, 
a young lady we'll call Marla, was participating in the small group for the very first time. She was a brand new Christian, and she'd never been in a small group before. She was very nervous to be a part of a new small group Bible study. She let her told Crystal that that moment the guy confessed his sin, she could barely catch her breath. And the reason was she was certain that group of good Christians would turn on him and roast him over the coals. What happened next helped Marla to make a pivotal decision that changed the direction of her life. After the guy confessed his lustful problem, instead of looking down on him, everyone in the group embraced him. Another guy talked openly about his past struggles with pornography. Then a woman in the group shared that porn had gripped her during a season of life too. She explained how Christ and her friends had helped her overcome it. Each person encouraged the guy in their own way, and then everyone joined hands and prayed passionately for their brother in the middle of the circle. Isn't that how church is supposed to work? And seeing firsthand the unconditional love and acceptance moved Marla, who came into the group scared to death because she thought she wasn't good enough to take a risk, trembling with emotion. She explained to her newfound spiritual family that she had gotten pregnant in high school and the father of her baby skipped out, leaving her to raise her son by herself and struggling to make ends meet. And she had not, you know, finished any education. She had no formal training. She had taken a job as an exotic dancer. She despised her job and she knew it was wrong. But the money was good and paid the bills. It was the only thing she could do where she could make enough money to live on. She said she'd give up anything to quit her degrading job, but felt trapped with no way out. That's when a chain reaction of miracles started to unfold. Just as when the guy confessed his sin, the group expressed to Marla the same love and acceptance. And a group member told her, if you quit your job, I'll give you money to cover your bills. And like a scene from It's a Wonderful Life. Remember at the end of one, oh, It's a Wonderful Life when the bank's about to go under and everybody in town comes and gives Jimmy Stewart their money to keep the bank afloat? You don't watch these movies, do you? Anyway, <laughs> everyone in the group gathered around her and pledged financial help. And within minutes, the group had committed enough money to cover all of Marla's bills for months. Marla couldn't believe what was happening. It was as if God himself reached down and was hugging her through these people. And the next day, this new emboldened follower of Christ walked into the strip club where she had worked and told the manager she was finished and she was never coming back. On Tuesday, one of the small group members pulled a favor from a friend and got Marla an interview at his company. The manager liked Marla, and on Wednesday, because of God's goodness through his children, Marla got a new job and a new life. Marla confessed to God's people and acted on God's word. And guess what she found? Freedom. It was for her benefit to follow God's word. It was for her benefit 
to be accountable to God's people. And now she's helping other girls from the same prison she came from. Armed with God's spirit and word and the strength of her new family, Marla went back to her friends at the old strip club and she told them, I know a way out. And not only that, she decided on her own to form a ministry to help women involved in prostitution and in strip clubs. She formed a ministry right there with her small group. And now, there for some reason, there is a shortage of strippers in the area where she lives. This is what happens when we believe God's word and act on it. This is what happens when we confess our sins to God and to each other. This is what happens when, as John calls it, we walk in the light with each other, trusting God in each other, being accountable to each other in grace. The result is it's for our benefit. We become free, free from the chains of sin, free from the past, free from our dirty little secrets. We become free to be who God made us to be. This is the kingdom Jesus brought. This is what we are invited to. This is why it's good news, the gospel. This is why people flock to Jesus over and over again. He brought this kind of good news. It's the kind of good news we're supposed to bring. At the end of this story, Moses told Israel in Deuteronomy 30. I didn't read it this morning. But he gave them a very simple choice. He said, today I have set before you life and death. You choose. You choose. If you do and take, live by and act on what God has given you, you choose life. If you do not, you choose death. By the way, Jesus kind of picked up this theme when he, he didn't say choose life or to choose death. He said, I am the life. Choose me. Every choice that omits Jesus Christ is a death choice. Are you living or dying? Moses' life ended on a mountain overlooking the promised land. He never set foot in it, even after 40 years of leading his people to it and casting vision for it and seeking it. It was forbidden to him because at one point he really screwed up. And sometimes even the greatest saints screw up. And sometimes we have to live with consequences for a lifetime, at least in this life. But that is not the end of the story. One day Moses, it says, stepped out of heaven onto another mountaintop. And there he and Elijah encouraged a man on his way to a cross. A man whose face shone like the sun on that mountaintop as he was transfigured. 1,200 years after his death, Moses reached the promised land. Hallelujah. He stood on top. And guess what he discovered on that mountaintop? He discovered that the promised land was more about a person than about geography. 
that the promised land was really about the kingdom of God, where people follow the man whose face shone on that mountain 2,000 years ago, where people lived according to God's vision for us. You see, the promised land is anywhere God's redemption is breaking loose in the world. And boundaries don't matter because Christ's followers take the kingdom with them wherever they go. The promised land is a kingdom, by the way, where people don't kill each other or judge each other by the color of their skin, where people love their enemies and do good to them, and where justice and mercy reigns. It's not a plot of land. It's a kingdom of a certain person. And we're living in it now. And one day the fullness of this kingdom will come on earth completely when heaven comes to earth and the new Jerusalem descends on this planet and the earth melts with fervent heat and it is purified and we will see the Lamb. This is what Moses saw when he finally stepped foot in the promised land. And what a sight it was. Let us learn through God's word and God's community and God's spirit to see the promised land in our lives too. You know, isn't that what the old hymn says? I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, won't you come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. Because of Jesus' blood and sacrifice, I got great news for you this morning. We've already crossed over Jordan. Hallelujah. We're already in the promised land. Our goal is to live like it. And you can. You don't have to stumble and bumble like the children of Israel. You don't have to live in defeat. God has given us ways to access his life and his presence and his power. It's his truth. It's his word. It's his spirit. It's his body. If we do it the way Moses wanted us to do it and Jesus wanted us to do it and the New Testament wants us to do it, there will be transformation. We will show people. They will easily see the promised land. Hallelujah. Will we ever be perfect? No. No. But can we be a light in the darkness? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Can we be loving in a world full of hate? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Can we be people of integrity in a world where lying is epidemic. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Can we show people the kingdom? Can we show them the promised land 2.0? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'd like the whoever's going to play up here to come up here and play, and I'd like the intercessors to come forward. And we will pray for you about anything when the intercessors are up here. But while we're, I'd like to take a moment. And I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I would like you to ask yourself, what toxins are in my system? What idols besides the real God are controlling me? What am I doing that is destructive to me and others? 
maybe it's time to listen to Moses and to Jesus and try a different way. I'm going to give you a few moments of silence to to pray on that. Jesus help us to learn your word speak to us through your word transform us through your word help us cleanse the stream Lord for some of us Lord we haven't picked out the twigs and the rocks sorted out the silt or the toxins in a long time We've gotten used, Lord, to a brackish stream. Lord, help us to be better keepers of our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you